0: And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. That means kids. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribes stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mathetiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Machiah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Mashulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Shamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, The day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has anything ready. For this day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths, or like these man-made tents, during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in, in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olives, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths. As it is written, so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and on their courts and in the courts of the house of God. Picture this: and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim, and all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in booths. For uh, for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God and they kept the fast, the feast, sorry, seven days. Quite the opposite of a fast, a feast. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is God's word. Let's just pray briefly. Lord, would the words of my mouth, would the meditation of all of our hearts and our minds be pleasing acceptable to You, our Rock and our Redeemer. We ask that Your Holy Spirit would be powerful, that maybe something along the lines of what we just read would happen here in this space, that there would be renewal from Your Word. We believe that Your Word is powerful, that it's not just a dead letter on a written page. But it's alive, it's active, it searches our hearts, the very core of who we are. It convicts us, exposes us, but it also comforts us. It's your word. It's your word. It's not abstract. It's your word, God, and you are alive and you're here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So recently I was with a friend and they said, Joe, you've been talking a lot about grace renewal. What exactly do you mean by that? And um, I love that question and it led to an amazing conversation, but it also made me realize that I often use jargon, church jargon, things that make total sense to me without explaining and going through the hard work of explaining what I mean. Same thing actually happens whenever I start a meeting, I'll say, all right, let's share grace renewal stories guys. And there'll always be a, uh, one brave person in that circle say, um, uh, Joe, what do you mean? Like, what is a grace renewal story? (laughs) I'll say, isn't it obvious? And it's not obvious. Again, I love that question because we get so lost in the jargon so I had a calculus teacher actually in college uh, who was very brilliant but in the same way would assume all this math jargon and never explain it to their poor freshman and and in my case sophomore class right and so so basically I would spend every single uh, opportunity I could uh, with 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 study sessions just to understand the lingo that she would use the jargon that she would use and then once I would get behind that jargon uh, lo and behold things would make sense and i bet many of you uh, encounter corporate jargon do you guys encounter corporate jargon at, at work or your places of work do you know what i mean like words like synergize and operationalize have you ever used these uh, can i get a hand and uh, recontextualize uh, any other eyes frame of reference that you use i'm sure in the medical profession there's some of you in the medical profession you all have your jargon you all have your lingo uh, and it's awfully confusing probably to some of your patients when you slip into that There's this recent study that I saw that found that 88% of the respondents, check this out, use jargon at work without understanding it. That's like 9 in 10 of you use words and phrases that you don't even understand. And then 64%, more than half, use jargon multiple times weekly. But if this Google search is true, and this is just a quick Google search, Things like the most annoying, pretentious, and useless business jargon from Forbes. Why workplace jargon is a big problem. Communication in the workplace. Why you should avoid vague, and then it goes on. If, if that is right, if that Google search is right, and I, I realize that's my algorithm, not yours. But if that Google search is right, then y'all hate jargon, but you use it. And I just wonder if that's even true in the church. Think about this. Nadia Bolz-Weber. she makes me cringe when she writes this. She says... And she's being facetious. Okay? Former comedian, actually. After my quiet time with the Lord, where I was bathing in prayer, God laid it on my heart to be a transformational leader by just loving up on my blog readers and offering them some ideas from my missional imagination. So that makes me cringe, because I can talk that way. There's even a website called understandingchristianity.com, which is a dedicated dictionary for church lingo and jargon and it's not a joke it's so sincere it's like a sincere website saying hey if you're exploring christianity i'm sorry here's what we mean when we say fill in the blank can i get an amen well i realized look i've been using this odd phrase grace renewal Grace renewal. I've been using this odd phrase for about two months now. Grace renewal. And I thought it might be helpful before we dig into chapter 8 to just explain what I even mean by that word. And so let's just break it down. Two words. Grace renewal. We'll start with renewal. What do I mean by renewal? Well, renewal, think about it, and this may be Captain Obvious, but renewal is when something old becomes new again. When something broken becomes fresh again. And so I renewed my old and broken down guitar a few years ago. And now it works, stays in tune. That was a renewal that took place. Now, God is in the business of making old and tired and broken things new. That's renewal that I'm speaking of. The scriptures say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So that's why I say renewal. And that's also why I say grace renewal, because renewal from God is not a payment from him to us for our good behavior or even our resolve to be a good uh, Christian or to do whatever it is, because renewal is sheer gift. Renewal is sheer gift. We are the broken guitar hanging on the wall. And God says, I'm going to pick that guitar up and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it sing again. It's not going to be out of tune anymore. I'm going to repair this. And I'm going to renew this. It's grace renewal. Listen to this quote. Grace is one way love. Take an inventory of yourself. Watch other people about whose happiness you care. You will see it over and over One-way love lifts up. One-way love cures. One-way love transforms. It's the change agent of life. One-way love. That's grace. Grace is one-way love. It's sheer gift. And God makes us new with one-way love. So when I say grace renewal... And what I'm asking God to do in our church by grace renewal, I'm just asking that God would take us and renew us, both individually in our own stories, but also the story of hope. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we lose that taste, that desire for his renewal. And that's the danger when we're comfortable. We lose the hunger. So you might be asking, um, how would we know at our church and in my life individually, if grace renewal is happening, what are the evidences? What are the the fruits of grace renewal? And that's where Nehemiah chapter eight for me is, is so helpful because Nehemiah chapter eight, if you've been tracking with us all along, Nehemiah chapter eight is at the long end of a huge building effort. It really is the climax, the apex of this incredible climb. And so what we see here is sort of the climax of the renewal too that, that God provides, uh, in this time. And we see two things. If you heard it read aloud, you saw it. What did you see? You saw two evidences of renewal. You saw first a holy hunger for God's word and second, a holy joy. And I say holy joy because it was a joy that was described by the scripture itself as holy. And we're going to get into this next week, but joy and holiness are actually meant to be married. And we so often divorce them. And we're going to get into that. But this morning, we're going to explore the holy hunger. The holy hunger, which is the first evidence of grace renewal in our space. It's the first evidence. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. First 1 of chapter 8, you see... This it reads, and all the people gathered as one man or as one person into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Did you catch that? So after this huge effort, they didn't sort of just go into their own houses. Instead, they came as one person. They sort of were like, they morphed like a transformer into one person. Uh, is that what transformers do? I think they do. Uh, they, they, they morph. I know that. But it's this big group of people, and they all sort of come together, and they're all universally, corporately hungry for God's word. That's Renewal. Uh, Derek Kidner, the Old Testament scholar, he says, this is a rare receptiveness to God's word in the Old Testament. (coughs) A rare receptiveness. This is a receptivity. uh, All of them, old, young, male, female gathered as if they are one person to hear the word of God. That's what happens. That's an evidence of renewal, a holy hunger for his word. It's like Thanksgiving, right? Some of us are prepping for that, Um, going to counseling to prep for that. Who knows? But it's when everybody gathers around the table with a voracious hunger, you know? It's like the feasts at the Great Hall in Hogwarts, you know? Like every time I see those in the movies, I see the feasting. or Every time I read of them in the books, I see this and I just have a, a desire to be there. I just do. I want to be in that great hall when there's a feast going down. Uh, this is funny experience. In my fraternity in college, we had an annual Thanksgiving dinner, and it's hilarious because uh, we were like, uh, it was a tie-and-jacket affair, and we were not a tie-and-jacket community of guys. We weren't. At least I wasn't. There might have been one or two of you out there. But for me, it was like grubby, smelly, ramen, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That was my existence. When I started dating Josie long distance, I would start showering like Fridays <laughs> before I would see her. And it was hilarious because the Thanksgiving dinner, as it approached, we all sort of started like daydreaming about it and talking about it. And we all got cleaned up for it. And we all were excited about it. And we'd all drive to it, and it was this thing. It was this sort of communal, like gathering, like one man, like in this text, like one person. We became almost this 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 single identity, eager to be there to eat, eager to be there, happy to be there. No other place that we wanted to be, and that to me is what I see here in this text: a deep communal hunger. God's word and that is the fruit that is the evidence of renewal according to Nehemiah chapter 8 so let me just ask this question Uh, what would that look like for us what would that tangibly look like for our community if God were to renew us to such a point that we had a communal hunger for God's word well I always like to think holistically so head heart and hands. And you actually see those three categories at play in this one person. Okay. So this is a community as one person. And what would happen if renewal took place in our one person community here is that our heads or our minds would be hungry. Our minds would be hungry for God's word. And in two ways, God's word would have our attention. Our full attention. In an age of distraction, God's word would somehow miraculously grab us. Have you ever been to um, a sports bar like the one right here? What's that one called? Um, thank you, Champs. It's just decked out with TVs. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you're there with someone you want to actually have a conversation with. And yet you're always looking up and you're always looking over and it's almost nearly impossible to give them your eyes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, that's the world we live in. We sort of live in a champs universe. Did you know that? And what would happen if renewal took place in our midst is that we would actually be able to look God in the eyes and see and hear and be attentive to what he's saying. That's the first sign. And we would start to get tired of the noise. We begin to see it as an annoyance. And we'd be craving this good stuff that he has to say to us. And so God's word would have our full attention. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this. says that the ears of all the people were attentive. They were attentive. What else? I think if our minds were, were hungry for God's word, we would not only just be attentive, but God's word would be made accessible to us. So, just take a look at verse 2 again. It says, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand that, includes kids. Uh, what they heard on the first day, uh, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day. There's that word understand. And then the verse three. And then he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and the women and those who could understand. And it says all the ears were attentive. So there's that word understand again. And then if you scan down to verse seven. It has a list of names of people who helped the people to understand. And then in verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Even in verse 12, Felix now says, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Why? Why, were there, why was there joy? Because they had understood the words that were read to them. You get the sense they didn't understand any of it before. And now they finally understand. The kids, too. And that means that. Renewal happens when we crave in our minds God's word, when we're hungry for it, and and we can actually understand it. It means the church will do all that they can to make the word digestible and understandable. That's why we have English Bibles, by the way. That's why we have Bibles in every, we're trying, every language. I mean, that's why we have children's teaching right now. We don't have children's teaching to get the annoying kids out of the church service. That's not what we're doing. They're not annoying. We're, we're doing our best to, to make the word of God digestible and understandable to their minds. And where they are developmentally. And so we have a committed group, core group of teachers, men and women, who are week in and week out, pouring out this model. Making the word digestible, understandable, so that these kids walk out with joy and rejoicing like we just read of. Why? Because they understood the love of Jesus from the word of God. That's why we have children's teaching. And we rejoice that that's happening. That's why I preach. That's, that's my goal in preaching. It's not to improve the Word of God. It's to simply help us understand the Word of God. Every week when I, when I, when I prepare a sermon, I'm not looking at this text and saying, how can I make this text cooler more um, more sort of palatable. No, I'm actually asking, how, Lord, can this, how can I serve the people you've asked me to serve by helping them just simply understand better what it is that your word says? God's word is not defective in need of me. But there is a reason why we preach and we don't simply just read the text and then say, all right, that's it. Go home. We unpack it. That's why we have books. This is why we encourage teachings. That's why we encourage all kinds of things. Because what we are doing is we are simply coming alongside this calling to make God's Word accessible. So our minds would be hungry. What else? Our hearts would be hungry. Uh, so we're not just brains on a stick, you know? We're we're, we're not just minds sort of floating. Um, someone told me that the... the, the Cartoon Futurama apparently has characters where there's just brains floating. Is, can someone verify? Is this true, in Futurama watchers? Man, you guys are you guys are you guys are great! All right. Well, that is not the human. That's not the picture of humanity we read in the scriptures. We are, we have minds, but we also have hearts, and the heart is the command center of all that we are and do. It's the desire factory. And so a hunger for God's Word has to reach our hearts. And what would happen if it does? Well, our hearts would stand at God's Word. You know, we see in verse 5 of chapter 8, God's people quite literally stand at the reading of God's Word. Which isn't a bad practice. Derek Kidner says that they're giving the Word of God a royal reception. Why? Because it's really hard in the Old Testament, especially, in the New Testament as well, it's really hard to detach God's words and God's person. Why? Because God, whenever He speaks, whatever it is that He's speaking happens. His word is so powerful. Think about every electron, neutron and proton and whatever quirk or whatever else is going on in this world is because he spoke it. And Jesus, who is God in flesh, when he saw something and he spoke healing, it happened. And so what happens at God's word, when these folks sort of discover it for the first time, what happens is they stand. What else can they do? They rise because they're saying, this is God's power. This is his word. Friends, when he speaks, it's powerful. It's been said that there's no neutrality of God's word. We're either being hardened by it or softened by it. You can't just hear or encounter God's word and, and no power happen. This word is powerful. It goes out, it does what it's set to do, and it comes back. His word is so potent. And they recognize it and they respond. And so will our hearts if renewal happened in our midst. Oh, man, we would we would we would open the scriptures and we would stand. Power. Royal reception. So our hearts would stand. Our hearts would also soften at God's word. In verse nine, uh, we read what happens after people hear God's law. They wept. Why? Because it meant that their hearts were were soft and tender and, and convicted by sin. Which is a sure sign of renewal. When we read the words of scripture, and our hearts are soft, so our hearts would stand, our hearts would soften, and our hearts I think would sing because of god 's word in verse six we see that a heart that is soft is a heart that sings, and we also we saw also in this text that in verse twelve they understood the Word of God, and afterwards they they rejoiced there was a singing at the Deep, deep, deep depths of who they are. And in verse 6, we see that a soft heart uh, creates a posture. This posture is heads down and hands up. Which is worship. Heads down, humility, hands up, yearning. That's worship. The Word of God creates a worship posture when renewal is taking place. Our hearts sing when we're, yes, deeply exposed by God's word, but with that same word, we are comforted by his never let you go love. So our hearts would show hunger. Our minds would show hunger. Our hearts would show hunger. And then I think finally, our hands would show hunger. What I mean by hands is simply our actions, what we do. So I can say hands and feet as well. Point is, we have bodies that touch the world that God made. And renewal is not just internal, though I believe it starts internally. Renewal begins internally and then flows outward in our actions. So what happens in our thinking, in our feeling, will always translate to our doing. That's just a fact. You can look at your habits on a given day and then you can trace them backwards, follow the bread trail, and you'll find a couple thrones. And if you're honest, like I, like me, if I do that too often, the thrones God Himself is not sitting on, but control or some desired outcome. And from that throne, there is breadcrumbs to my actions. But what happens when renewal takes place is that God sits where He deserves in our hearts, and from that we behave differently. Glad obedience. A transfer into action. If you see that, the final, ch- uh, really, paragraph of chapter 8 is an example of that. They heard about this thing called the Feast of Booths. They'd never heard of it before, even though it's right there in the Word. But they understood it for, this t- for the first time. And they were so moved by God's Word because of the renewal that was happening that they suddenly were like, well, let's do this. And they went out and they did it. And it was a glad reception of God's Word. And, and what, what I find striking about this is that it was joyful. And what we need to comprehend is that obedience from a heart that is captured by God's word is actually life to the fullest. It's not a drag or a burden. And that happens when renewal happens in a community. It's so beautiful. So how would we know that we're in the midst of renewal, a holy hunger? That's how we would know. A holy hunger that reaches our head, our heart, and our hands. Ezra, who takes who's really the, the main uh, the main actor in this in this chapter, Ezra himself embodies this holistic hunger. If you were to look in Ezra chapter seven, verse ten, you hear a little a little summary of, of who Ezra was. In Ezra seven ten, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. And then to teach it. Do you see that? There's a pattern, and it's a great pattern for me, it's a great pattern for all of us. First, we eat the word in mind and in heart. There was a desire in his heart for the, for, the, for the Word of God. And then there was in his mind a, a studying of it so he could understand it. And then there was a practicing of it, a doing of it. And then there was a passing it along. We become a culture of the Word like we see at the end of chapter 8. Where renewal happens day by day from the first day to the last He read from the book of the law, Ezra did. So that's the first sign. Next week we're going to look at the paragraph that we jumped over. We're going to think about what holy joy would look like in a community. Because I bet some of you are thinking, okay, if renewal happened in their space, there would be a holy hunger for God's word, but then wouldn't that make us all sort of dour and uh and sort of minor key? Cuz that's what serious Christians look like, right? That's what Bible believers look like, right? But the truth is no. There's actually a deep, deep joy that takes place. And we're going to dive into that next week. But for now, I just want to I want us to just ponder what it would look like for this community and for the church in the United States, for the church in the world to develop a revival of hunger for God's Word. How do we do this? Well, we need to pray for it because we can't control what we crave, can we? And the prayer is simple. Lord, make me hungry for Your Word. If you're not hungry for His Word, what do you do? You admit it. And you say, Lord, make me hungry for your word. Let me just say there's great power in that prayer. Because the place of desperation is the best soil for renewal. Jesus loves to answer that prayer. Lord, make me hungry for your word. I love this quote. We'll close with it by James K. Smith. He writes this. He says, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. This is a promise for you all to hang on to. He isn't, Jesus isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. So let's just pray briefly that he would create in our hearts a want, a love, a longing for his word. Lord, I think many of us uh, here at church, we're sort of seasoned churchgoers, a lot of us. And we know, oh, we're supposed to be into the Bible and all that. And we've gone to Bible studies and we've read books to try to help us understand what your word means. And we've done all this. And so some of us here are probably sitting here and we're we're tired. Uh, But Lord, would you give us again a hunger for your word? Make us crave it. When we wake up, first thing, in this world of distraction, give us attentive ears for what your voice is saying. And Lord, would you help us to see that so many of the voices in our lives are just, they don't have our best in mind. There's so many manipulative voices out there. There's so many voices that are just lies. And so give us a hunger for your truth and your word. Lord, in this posture of desperation, would you answer our prayer? And Lord, would we witness a holy hunger at Hope Church? Holy Spirit, stoke that hunger, we ask. In Jesus' name.